For our Bible reading this morning, we're going to be continuing to read in Luke, where we are actually going to be reading another psalm from um, a woman who was very greatly blessed by God. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 1, and it's verses 26 to 56. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Well, we're in our time in Luke. Um, I hope that it's been beneficial for you uh, so far and that it's been uh, something of an encouragement to your faith. Uh, that is the reason that Luke has been written, so that it can provide a, a certainty for the things that you believe in Jesus. Uh, last week, to recap, we looked at the angel, uh, Gabriel, who came to Zachariah and spoke to him to say that he or his wife would conceive and have a child who would be John. And if we look at this story of what uh, God is doing, we come to two people who it's so likely 
that God would show his revelation to. As we saw, they're very righteous and pious people. They are people that the Lord sees because of the way that they walk blameless before him. And they just seem like the right fit. And John, the, the child born to Zachariah and Elizabeth, he's proven himself to be a prophet whose ministry is preparing people for the Lord. His birth actually is kind of like a really big billboard that you'll see on the side of a road. Ooh. The power of my voice. All right, now I can hear me breathing. It's like a big billboard on the side of a road. That's where we're up to. And the reason it is like a big billboard is because John, from birth to his ministry, the whole point of what he is trying to do is say that there is something up ahead coming. There's salvation up ahead. You read a billboard and you're like, 5Ks, I know that I'm going to get some Maccas if I want McDonald's. That billboard is there for you to say, I need to change my course of direction. I need to get in that left lane so I can veer off. No one's eating Maccas at the billboard. They're eating Maccas at the store. And so this is what John is doing. I am not salvation. It does not belong with me. I am pointing to you to tell you that Christ, the Lord who is coming, he is the one that you must go to for salvation. And in the case of John, when he was ministering, a lot of people thought maybe this, maybe this is the Messiah. They, they mistake the billboard for the actual thing. When John's ministry started to dwindle, his followers, John's followers, started to get a bit weary. And he said, John, you know, you're starting to lose followers and you're losing followers to Jesus because Jesus' ministry had started up. And people started going away from John and they started finding their way to Jesus. And John would say to them, a person only receives what he has from heaven. You yourselves can testify, I'm not the Messiah. I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is so full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And that joy is now mine. It is complete. He must become greater and I must become less. John was so happy, he was so filled with joy that his ministry would be getting small and Jesus would be increasing because he knew everything that he had come to do was finally being fulfilled. People were finding the Lord to receive salvation. And what's interesting is John's most zealous followers almost stood to miss it. John, your ministry's dying. And John's like, well, my ministry was only to serve that of the Lord. That is where you should be going. You see, pastoral ministry, it's, it's full of a lot of zealous, a lot of talented and a lot of gifted people. And it's a beautiful thing. God has given them to the church. But the ministry is actually worth nothing if people cling to the pastor and not to the one that he points to. Our job is to point back to Christ. He must become greater and we must become less. For salvation belongs to the Lord. You see, the bride belongs to the bridegroom, the church to Christ, the sheep to the shepherd. People belong to God. You don't belong to Pastor Jonathan. You don't belong to our pastoral intern, Tim. <laughs> you don't belong to a denomination or a union, you belong to God. And this comes as good news because Christ is the one who is the overseer of your soul. And he is the one who makes sure that your salvation is secure in him. It's on him you rely. 
And I introduced the message like this because this is the first time in Luke's gospel where we come to know about Christ, where we're confronted with him, the one who brings salvation. I say this plainly, if you have not come to Jesus, you are not saved. If you have not gone to Jesus, you are not saved. You may have confessed your sins to a pastor or to a priest, but have you confessed them to the Lord for his forgiveness? You might have favor from your congregation or your pastor, but have you sought the favor of the Lord? You might sit in church pews, but have you asked the Lord for the Holy Spirit who loves to give it? He is the one that joins you to the body of Christ. It is in him. And I would hate for someone to believe in this church that because I run a ministry, because I tick the Christian box on the consensus forms, because I sit under this teaching, because I listen to a podcast, because of something that I have done, I have salvation. Salvation is in the Lord. It's in Christ. And that is where you must go. This morning's message I've titled, if you haven't guessed it, Salvation Belongs to the Lord. Within these passages, we are going to discover that the Lord's salvation, these are my points, is an act of grace. That's number one. The Lord's salvation, it is an act of grace. Number two, Jesus' lordship, his authority, it's what makes salvation possible for you and I. Number three, Jesus' lordship is inherent. Four, Jesus' salvation is received by faith. And lastly, worship is a natural response to grace. Uh, like last week, I, I proposed the points into questions, and so I thought that would be good again to do. I'm going to do them from the, from the viewpoint of Theophilus. You can personalize these if you want. Can Theophilus be certain that the grace of God's salvation plan extends to him? Or to personalize it, how do you know that salvation can actually be granted to you? And that's what we'll discover. Can Theophilus be certain that Jesus has power to save us from sin? What gives Jesus the right? Can Theophilus have absolute confidence that Jesus' salvation won't fail? Can it be undermined? What are the requirements to receiving salvation? What must one do? And lastly, if Theophilus be saved, which is beautiful, you're saved, what are we doing now? What do we do? And lastly, before we begin, um, I thought this would be helpful. It's kind of like math. If I give you all the, the answers, you don't become a better mathematician. You've got to see some of the working out. If you want context of Scripture, ask yourself, like I said last week, who is writing? We know it's Luke. Who's he writing to? We know it's Theophilus. What is his intent and his purpose? To solidify faith in a man. That's context that we can know. We learned that last week. This week, an interpretation tool that I'm going to use, it's, it's a literary context device. And you're asking the question, why does the writer, why does the author construct his stories like this? Why does he construct a story? You know, they didn't just slap them together and be like, oh, I remember a story. They put their stories together for a reason, and it's to teach you and to show you something. It's really hard now, Bibles, because you've got that little subtitle, you've got your chapters and your verses. They're not in the original scripture. And so we break it down like that. But Luke is trying to show you something. It would have been a lot more logical for Luke to go, all right, what I'm going to do first is I'm going to show you John, and I'll go through the whole story of John. 
And now I'll go back and now I'll tell you about Jesus. But he doesn't do that. What he does is he says, here's John. Now here's Jesus. Now here's John again. Now here's Jesus. And he's doing that, A, for the one reason that the main theme Luke is writing for is so that you can know the revelation of God. It's following the angel. It's following what the angel is doing in this story. Secondly, it's so you can contrast these two stories. The story of angel Gabriel coming to Zechariah and the angel coming to Mary. And so you'll find similarities there that we're going to contrast. God sends his messenger, Gabriel, to human. Human responds in fear of perplexity. Angel announces God's revelation. Human raises a concern about the revelation. Angel confirms it with a sign. And so it's kind of like these two pictures where it's like, try to find what's different in these two pictures. And that's what he's doing for Theophilus. And it's teaching Theophilus about God's character towards different people. And so the method, or one of the methods I'll be using is contrast, these two different stories. So as we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is the foundation of our salvation. Lord, that you've sent your son, that you've forgiven us of sins, and he is the rightful heir. I pray that you'd bless our time together and encourage us in the faith. In your name, amen. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary's greatly troubled at the word and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. As I said, the narrative is following the angel, the revelation of God. And so the first difference that you're going to note is when it came to Zechariah, it says it came in the time of King Herod. And Luke, being a historian, he's now basing his history off saying that the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's when the angel came. He's showing that this historical event is worth noting on a worldwide scale. The angel Gabriel, we already know, is, is someone of a legitimate messenger of God. Why? He stands in the presence of God. He was in the temple with Zechariah. And so we know that when he comes to the girl, when he's sent to Mary in the backwaters of Nazareth in the region of Galilee, we know that he's a legitimate presence of God. And what do we know about Mary? Cultural context will teach us that she's quite young if she's in betrothal. She's never been intimate with a man. And the man that she will be married to is from the line of David. He is a descendant of royalty. These are all adding to what is going to come later. And what's interesting about Nazareth, where, where Mary grew up, it's not really noted as somewhere that you'd probably want to live. It's got horrible social standing. When the disciple Philip runs up to Nathaniel and he says, we found him. We finally found the one that Moses and the prophets were talking about. And his name's Jesus and he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel looks at him and says, Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of there. And I've heard from Sydney siders, they'd be like saying, Mount Druitt. <laughs> what good comes out of Mount Druitt? But not only that, it's kind of like obscure in location. It's like when you say to someone, I'm from Sydney. And they say, whereabouts in Sydney? And you say, I'm from Currajong. And I'm like, well, where's Currajong? It's this obscure location of place. And so we have, by way of contrast, this, this righteous man, 
in Zachariah. And this young virgin girl. We have the angel coming to the temple in the presence of God. And then we have an angel going to the backwaters of nowhere. We have this beautiful priestly heritage in Zachariah and Elizabeth. And then we got someone who doesn't even have their heritage noted in Luke's gospel. We have a man that is pleading with God in prayer. And then we have a girl which is silent on the matter. You see, and it's all teaching something about God's character and nature of who he is. God has a watchful eye on those who fear him and live rightly by him. And at the same time, he has a heart for the lowly and for the unlikely. He is merciful to those who fear his name and he loves to elevate the humble. Mary isn't of notable pedigree. She isn't high in stature. She isn't portrayed here in scripture as being righteous, yet God chooses Mary. And it doesn't really make sense to us. Last week I kind of noted that the Lord loves to use elderly people to fulfill his plans. But it's interesting here that he loves to fulfill his plans in young people too. And use that as an encouragement, youth group or young adults, how God, with his help, he loves to do glorious things through you. You see, culture just puts the idea that if you clean your room once a week, you're doing pretty well as a young person. But the Father can see so much more, and so much more by his power that you can be doing. But by way of contrast between Mary and Zachariah, we're baffled at the logic of God that he would act in salvation to, towards two di very different people. We would assume, very naturally, that it's one or the other. And the reason that God is able to favor both is because it's an act of grace. It would be very easy for Theophilus to look at Zachariah's life as he reads and say, oh, the reason that God answers the prayers of Zachariah is because it's simply he's righteous. God really owes him one for the life that he has lived. But God is not indebted to anyone that he would have to act. In fact, the reason that he blesses and he answers prayers and that he is good to you and good to me, it's who he is. Out of his own volition, he loves to bless. He loves people. And he loves to answer prayer and he loves to give salvation to people. And that is why you can have someone like a pastor's kid or you can grow up in a Christian home your whole life and you can grow in the faith and when you look back, you're like, I just kind of have always believed. And that's a beautiful story. And at the same time, you can have another person who grew up in a broken home who's never heard about the Lord. And the Lord can come to them and both can be saved. Why? On the same premise. It's not social standing. It's not the life that you've lived. But purely God is gracious to both. And he loves them both dearly. And it's important for Theophilus to see this. Because when Theophilus, if he were to weigh himself against Zechariah, he hasn't been like this. He's not some pious religious man that grew up in a good home of, of priestly lions. He hasn't been a God-fearer his whole life. But then he's met with Mary. And it's baffling. Why Mary? Why Mary? And he starts to learn that God's salvation plan is not giving to those who deserve it, 
It's given to those who would receive it. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how many times you have sit there and questioned, can God really extend it to me? If you've ever had a narrative that sits in your head or a voice that will tell you a million times over, you're not worthy to receive the grace of God. And the next time that voice rises in your head, the next time that it would lie and deceive, respond and say, no, I'm not. And God has not chosen me, nor has he saved me based on what I have done. But the Father is loving and gracious. And the reason that I have salvation and the reason that I am favored is purely because this is what he loves to do. We are sinners saved by nothing other than the grace of God. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You'll conceive, you'll give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. After Mary hears the initial introduction, hey, you're favored by the Lord. It's kind of like, whoa, okay, settle down. I don't really know what that means. And the angel goes on to explain. This is the favor of God. You're going to have a child, and his name will be Jesus. He will be God's salvation. That's who you're going to have, and he will be great. You see, when the angel came to Zechariah, he said, your son, John, he will be great in the sight of God. And then he comes to Mary, and he says, your son, he will simply be great. John's greatness comes in reference to God. Jesus's is in reference to nothing, because he is greatness. If there were a ruler for greatness, Jesus is the ruler. There is no measurement. And the phrase of the Most High here is in reference to the one true God who has supreme authority over everything. Jesus will be the Son of the one and only true God in complete authority and power and dominion over everything. And he will give it to his Son, Jesus. This is where the throne comes in. What I want to draw out of this portion of Scripture for you is Jesus' Lordship and its connection to salvation. Salvation implies that you need to be saved. You are in danger. Now, if you were to go jump in the middle of the ocean somewhere and someone was to come along and try to save you and they jump in and after jumping in, they're like, I don't got a floaty, I don't know the way back to land and I ain't got a boat. Well, you're going to sit there and be like, cool, well, now I've just got some company and we're both going to drown. For someone to come and save you, they have to have the capacity and the ability to actually pull you up out of the water and bring you back. The capacity and the ability, and in the case of Jesus' salvation, when the world, what the world needs rescuing from is sin. See, we concoct so many different things that we think are the problem with us. And Jesus will say, no, your most fundamental problem is a problem of the heart. There is sin in there, and the only one who can restore that is me. But even more than this, sin before God is deserving of condemnation. It's deserving of wrath. And Jesus has come to save you from the condemnation of God. You see, the Most High God, the one who has supremacy and authority over all life, that's who we appear before in the judgment throne. And what's going to become evidently clear 
to all of us when we stand in his presence is our sins before him and the right that he has to condemn us in them. And what will also become evidently clear at that point is the only way that they might be mitigated or taken away from us is if God himself is gracious to us. There will be nothing else. And so in the lordship of Christ, the authority of God given over to the Son, that gives him the right to forgive you of your sins and to save you. This is what the Pharisees hated so much about Jesus. He would walk around and people would come up in diseases and sicknesses and he would heal them and he would say, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees couldn't stand it. Who is a man that he can say that in the eyes of God, your sins are forgiven? And Jesus would say to them, I want you to know I have all authority to forgive people of their sins before God. Why does he hold such authority? Because he is the Lord. You see, the angelic word, it came to Mary, and it's been written and documented for Theophilus so that he can have a certainty that Jesus' lordship, his divine authority that's been given over to him from the Father. So on the day when Theophilus stands before God, when he stands before that judgment seat, he knows that his sins will be removed because the same one that saved him at the cross will be the same one judging him in the end. It's the same. And if you are a believer, your salvation is secure and your sins forgiven in Jesus because he is the Lord. This is the means, the capacity in which he can do it. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who, who, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Here arises the big problem in, in God's salvation plan. Mary isn't able to have kids because Mary isn't engaging in the necessary means to bring them. And you'll note here again, by way of comparison between Mary's objection or Mary's, um, I guess, asking and Zachariah, is Zachariah objects and wants confirmation that the word will pass because of a sign. Uh, he looks for a sign, sorry. Mary's not looking for a sign. She just wants to know, how do you make impossible things possible, right? How are you actually going to bring this about? And so it's faith or belief trying to understand. And the angel replies, and the sign that she, he gives her is a lot more gentle than what he gives Zechariah. The way the virgin girl will become pregnant is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. A new creation will form in the womb of this young woman. And I think it's important to note here the role of God in creation. And I say this because we, we work in two different realms. Generally, we put things in spiritual boxes. We put things in physical boxes. But Christianity doesn't do this. In fact, it is God who is spirit who created all things. Everything you taste, smell, touch, and see is from him. And all life has its being through him. He is what holds it together. He is what gives you breath even to breathe right now. And this is good to know because Jesus isn't Hercules. 
This isn't a narrative. This isn't a story about a pagan god coming down and having his way with a woman and creating this half-man, half-deity demigod. That's not what this picture is. Jesus is God fully made flesh through the life-giving spirit. In essence, what the spirit is doing is recreating the new creation in the womb of Mary. And Luke is trying to show this through the word overshadowing which is a shot back to the Exodus. And when they'd finished building the tabernacle, where the presence of God was going to be localized and known, when they finished building it, this big, dense, thick cloud materialized to say that the presence of the Lord is with his people. And so in Mary, what we start to see is flesh knitted together and the very real presence of God forming in the womb of her. And this is something 700 years earlier that the prophet Isaiah would say when he said the virgin will conceive and give birth to a child and you will call him Emmanuel. The presence of God is with you. And I want to pause on the sonship of Jesus. You see, when parents bring life into this world and they have children, there's an intrinsic link between the parent and the child. There's nothing that can stop a child or separate the child from being the offspring of his or her parent. It doesn't matter if the child never meets them, they will always remain the offspring of the person who bore them into the world. Jesus is the Son of God and is therefore intrinsically linked in a way that can't be broken. He didn't earn sonship when he went to the cross. He didn't become the Son because he lived righteously. Jesus is and always has been the Son of God. And the reason to put emphasis on this, this thing that can't be separated, is because your salvation is as firmly secured in Christ as Christ's sonship is to God. If there were a power that could break the sonship of Christ to his Lord, then there might be a power to break the salvation that Jesus has for you it won't be undermined. God won't renounce his own, but he'll bring them to himself. So if you've been sitting there wondering, is this really going to pull through for me? Can it really reach down to the depths of what I've gone to? Surely there's a point at which it can cease to be effective. You would have to break away the Son from the Father before something could break you away from the Lord. And this is the security of salvation that we have in Christ. Mary answered the angel, I am the Lord's servant. May your word come, uh, be fulfilled to me. And the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and she hurried into the town, into the hill countryside of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she proclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Look at this beautiful picture, if there will ever be a clearer picture of childlike faith. This is it. The angel tells her the means by which she will conceive, and encourages her by the sign that Elizabeth is pregnant. And on that basis, Mary believes... Now think about it, Mary believes that she'll get pregnant because God said so. 
That's like a child saying, it'll happen because my dad said it will happen. And there is nothing more sweet, I know, as a parent when your child simply takes you at your word. And this is what the Lord is looking for in his people. People that will take him at his word. You see, we look at Zechariah with our human eyes and it makes sense. Outwardly, everything about this man, he is a very righteous man. I'm not taking that away from him. He is very devoted to the Lord. And then we look at Mary with our very human eyes and outwardly, she just seems very normal by nature. Inwardly, when we look at Zechariah and what Scripture shows us, we see someone that when the Word of God does come, he doubts. In the presence of the Almighty Lord as he ministers, And then we see Mary and the inwardness on her. The Word of God comes to her and she trusts. She believes. Even though it is physically impossible to have children unless God brings it about. Mary runs on down to Judea. She finds herself at her cousin's, Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John. And she opens the door And John leaps in the womb, as we know, John was filled with the Spirit and acknowledges that the mother of the Lord is there. And Elizabeth is filled and she cries out, you are a blessed woman and your child is blessed. And the Spirit is testifying to the favor of God upon Mary and upon the child. And the Holy Spirit is also testifying through Elizabeth at this point that it is the Lord. Why should the mother of the Lord come to me? You see, Elizabeth, she's unique in her position in this story. Mary cracks open the door and sees her and the good news has kind of come to her. And her husband's probably sitting in the next room going, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, still can't talk, right? She's been living with that for six months. He's become a very good listener over six months. <laughs> But Elizabeth looks at Mary and says, you are truly blessed. For when the word of God came to you, you believed. She can see the difference. You know, we could sit here for weeks. We could study the historical evidence for Jesus. We could look at the scientific evidence that there is a God. We could go into philosophical truths and see in the conscience that there's something imprinted on us. We could go to theological depths and show how Christianity worldview can really explain the world that we live in. And we could still fail to believe the Word of God. And there is both an encouragement and a rebuke in the story. The encouragement is receiving the Lord's salvation is as simple as putting faith, putting trust in the message, the Word of God. That's how beautiful it is. It doesn't rely on your intellect. It doesn't rely on how much you can actually understand. Jesus actually says those who will receive the kingdom, they'll receive it like a child. And unless you're willing to do it that way, you will not receive it at all. It's a simple trust into what God has given. The rebuke that comes from it. You can learn your whole life. You can leap learn deep theological truths. You could possess all types of understanding and knowledge and insight, but your salvation is not based on your intellect and it's not based on your ability to comprehend. It's based upon the Word of God and what He has done for you. 
simple trust. And God expects his people to put trust in what he has spoken, that his salvation is secure and unfailing. Blessed is the one who believes in the word of God. And this is good news for someone like Theophilus. What are the requirements for salvation? Simply trusting that which has been given to him. We continue, and Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And he has brought down rulers from their thrones and built up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. To Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. I learned that this week the church knows this song to be the Magnificat. But Mary is worshipping. She is magnifying God for who he is. It's kind of like a magnification of things. Not that God is small, but he is huge. It's like looking at space, but zooming in to see how beautiful Mars is. She's zooming in on different portions of God and saying, look how beautiful my Lord is and what he has done for me. She's in worship. And it's a natural reflex muscle after one acknowledges the unmerited favor of God to want to break down in worship. And this is what she does. Mary's hymn goes from a personal worship from 47 to 49 to God's character and his judgment in 50 and 53 to the covenant promise established with Abraham. And she's sitting there and she's saying, my soul, my spirit, my, my inner being, in fact, my whole being is ecstatic with joy and delight because the God of my fathers has seen me. She has elevated me, who is, he has elevated me who is lowly and she is in honor of bearing the Son of God. And for this, Mary will always be known as a blessed woman. She who was of humble circumstances is now elevated by the mighty act of God. She continues to say, His mercy extends to those who fear Him. This is God withholding judgment for those who revere His name, and He will bless generations for doing so. Parents, let that resonate with you. The Lord is mindful of those and merciful to those who would come under him. You think of Solomon. On account of David, he is merciful towards his son. He has performed mighty deeds, she says. What deeds are these? He scatters those who are puffed up and arrogant. He judges pride of people most severely. Those who won't acknowledge that his hand is sovereign those who won't believe that their power and everything that has been given to them has been given to them from the Lord. I think of people like Nebuchadnezzar who was labeled the greatest king and he would not acknowledge that God gave him the power so God made him eat grass like an animal. But God favors upon those who are humble, the lowly, and he elevates them to glory. He doesn't turn them away who are hungry, but he gives them their fill. But with the rich, he gives them nothing. Not that he doesn't have anything to give them, but because they won't acknowledge that there's anything that he has that they want. 
again, a pride and an arrogance. And I want to pause to make just a simple observation. This is a worship song. (laughs) Mary is worshipping the truth of God who opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble, a God who rebukes those who find security and pride in their power and their wealth, but looks on favor upon the poor, upon the homeless, the meek circumstance. He says, my favor is upon them. That's who Mary is worshipping. Why don't we have worship songs like that? We don't. And I wonder, is it because the real truth of God's character is kind of scary and therefore not what we want to worship? Or is it something that is offensive to us so we don't find it worthy of worship? But Mary worships this God by his character. Why? Because if he made judgments like we make judgments on people, Mary would have never been seen. Let's be honest, she is no one in the middle of nowhere. But she is exactly the type of person that God will look, like, look at and exalt over others because he loves to show the depth of his grace and his love for those who are lowly. The last portion of Mary's hymn fixates on the Abrahamic covenant. Even though God's word spoken to Abraham when he said, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. They, even though 1,800 years later, are still finding their fulfillment in Mary. God does not forget his word, and he comes to fulfill it. God saw simple faith in Abraham. And he looks at Mary and he sees that same simple faith. Someone that when he speaks to them, will acknowledge it and trust in it. And that is what he is searching for in us. That is the salvation that he extends to you and the means by which you can receive it. The Lord Jesus is mighty to save. And it's received by the word of God. And I encourage you, if you have not come to that, this morning is the time to come to that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your wisdom that you sent your Son. Father, that you don't turn your face away from us, but you are compassionate and good all the time. Thank you for your Son, Christ, that he is the Lord and that all things have been given to him. And we cherish it knowing that nothing can steal us away, but we are yours. In your name, amen.